Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. SoupX, the Startup Expo, North America's premier startup conference, is March 6th and 7th, 2017, in sunny Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Affordably priced, SoupX is a two-day international conference featuring workshops, panels, speeches, a $50,000 startup competition, and over 100 exhibitors. For more information, go to sup-x.org. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Joy Randalls. She's the founder and CEO at Citizen Investor and Applied G2. Joy, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. You've you've had an incredible career in, in this industry, but maybe before we kind of get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure. So I was born in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a Southern girl. I grew up there. Um, my dad worked for the airlines and I was kind of a daddy's girl growing up, um, an athlete and my parents kind of pushed me pretty hard, but I was lucky because, um, I got to travel a lot. And then, um, as I got older, um, I had the opportunity to travel and work all around the world. Nice. That's, that's awesome. So you, you've been to some pretty big name, um, universities, Kind of walk me through your university education and career. Um, so I started actually going to college when I was 16, when I was in high school. Wow. Um, and uh, there's a program that allows you to go in the freshman scholar program. And back in those days, they would let us, you know, work up uh, through our academics based on, you know, where you were, your ability and stuff. So um, I did that, went to school at EGA um, and uh, University of Georgia. Um, working on business. And then later, um, I actually went back and did a CIO program at uh, Emory University. And I worked with uh, MIT on the entrepreneurship development program. Okay, so what made you kind of want to go into kind of business and being an entrepreneur, especially at such a young age? Um, well, I started selling when I was nine years old, which okay. is uh, kind of funny. Sure. Um, my, my parents were, um, my mom had her own business before my parents got married. She was a cosmetologist. Okay. And then my mom kind of always had a side hustle, I guess, is, you know, that's how we refer to it sure. today. But there was always some other thing going on, right? Like whether it was like selling antiques on the side and then my dad loved cars. So my dad would buy these cars and refurbish them. And I remember like as a kid, like hauling wrenches around with my dad. And, you know, him letting me have, so I, I'm, I'm totally a car freak. I love really? anything that goes fast. Interesting. Um, and so my dad would let me help him redo stuff. I remember that my dad had um, one of the old Apache pickup trucks that he redid. And I just thought this thing was the greatest thing ever. Um, <laughs> but between him and my mom, and then my mom, like, bred show dogs, bred and raised show dogs, right? Okay. Um, as well. So there's always kind of this, hey, there's this other thing. Like, if you really want to do something, just kind of go for it. And my my parents, I give my dad huge credit because being a girl, I'm the oldest. Um, I have one brother who's four years younger than me. Um, but my dad, he never treated me like different in, in that way as a girl. So he always said like, Hey, anything you want, you can do. It doesn't sure. matter what it is. You just, it, it was an interesting thing. And he says, but there's always a sacrifice. So just remember 
that, you know, you have to work really hard and there are going to be things you have to give up for each other thing you achieve in life. Interesting. And when you're a kid, you don't really get that. Sure. But as you get to be a little bit older, like when you become a teenager and you become an adult, you're like, oh, now I totally get what he meant. Sure. Right? That there's like, okay, you know, you're going to sacrifice time here or whether it's time with your family or you can't have this thing because you're focused on that. Sure. And, um, you know, so those kind of things I think really told me that basically if, if it's really that important to you, then just go for it. And as long as you apply yourself, you'll be able to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Like I, no, I, it make that totally makes a lot of sense. So you, you finish kind of university, walk me through kind of after university, you, you've done a ton of stuff and I kind of want to maybe just kind of briefly cover your kind of career and then kind of, maybe before you started and co-founded kind of Apply G2? Yeah. So um, I'll make it short because it sure. can be really long. Yeah, you have and tons of people experience. Know, yeah, if people want to know more, they just go like look at my LinkedIn profile or Google me or something. Sure. But um, basically, I, I had, um, 15, I've had 15 different companies yeah, um, over <laughs> time in the, in the technology space. Um, I've raised a bunch of capital. Um, I've done it with no money, like literally no money. Sure. Um, where you go like, I got 50 bucks. Let's go do something. <laughs> That's um, awesome though. To, you know, to like raising money, um, to going back to the bootstrapping, you know, scenario. And to be honest, um, I think if you can bootstrap, that's probably better Interesting. Um, than going to raise venture capital. Um, or being very, and I'm very selective. So we end up talking about investing. I can explain like kind of how, how my mind works as it relates to that. Sure. But I mean, I, I was really lucky. We, um, we grew some of these companies. I mean, I, I got an opportunity to work at Apple early in my career. So I got to meet Steve Jobs. That's awesome. Um, I, I got to work for Guy, I got to work for Guy Kawasaki. I mean, nice. so there's, it, 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 it's super cool from, from that perspective. And then um, we went on to a company called Shine Software. I mean, there was some things in between, but Shine Software, we started that company um, grew it to took the company public and got acquired for about a billion and a half dollars wow. by CA or 12 times our market cap. And wow. then I stayed with them, um, for about five years. Sure. And, um, I just couldn't take the bureaucracy anymore. I'm not dinging them as a company. I just, the giant company thing is just not for me. Sure. Especially and, when you founded um, it, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. makes sense. There's, there's a point, in my opinion, there's a point when you're walking down the hall and it's about 500 people and you don't know the people anymore. Like uh, somebody will go like, hey, Joy, how are you? And you, go, and you ask the person, you're like, who's that? Like, yeah. Who's that person? What do they Interesting. do? Interesting. And, and that's a weird feeling to me because I believe everyone who's there is just as valuable as the other person. That's always been my mentality. If you're the janitor cleaning up, sure. you have just as few role to play in the success of the company as the person who's sitting, you know, in the CEO's office. Yeah, totally. And, um, and after that, I, um, I ended up, I, I left and went back to the startup world, which was um, awesome. Uh, I went to work for a company called Business Layers that we grew um, sold that company to NetTegrity, who was one of our partners. Wow. And then CA acquired them, and I knew that was going to happen when we sold to them. So I helped them negotiate the deal with CA because I bought a bunch of companies for CA when I was there. Gotcha. And I said, but I don't want to go back to the mothership, so <laughs> let me go. Um, <laughs> I love it. And I took a little time. Yeah, I took a little time off, and then another security startup company um, that ended up being uh, – it was an interesting ride, but didn't work out the way we wanted it to, right? I mean, that happens sometimes. Sure. Kind of not how it works. And um, then we had, I, I did a couple of turnarounds, private equity guys and VCs brought me in to help them do some turnarounds. 
And then we founded a company, um, Velocitude, which was the first mobile content delivery platform and um, built that company pretty crazy. I mean, in under two years, um, actually even under a year and a half, Akamai acquired us, um, which was pretty crazy. And uh, I helped with that transition. And after that, you know, kind of went on my way to the, the next venture and dedicated all my time then to apply G2 for a period of time. Sure. Okay. No, that that's awesome. And so I, I'm curious then, like, what is Applied G2 and why did you decide to kind of co-found it? So um, I've worked in the cybersecurity space for a really long time. I mean, all the way back to my last role. Um, so Cheyenne Software created the first antivirus product on the market, a product called Inoculant. There was no antivirus product. Oh, I remember product. that, yep. Yeah. So, um, and then at CA... Um, I ended up starting the eTrust business division, which is still there today. And my last job at CA, I ran the global um, business unit for BizDev for them. When I left there, right? Sure. Players, first, prov- first provisioning company, access, uh, you know, access and identity management company out there. Netegrity, another security <laughs> company, right? It's like, so, I mean, I, I love that space. And it's very interesting because it always changes. I mean, not that all technology doesn't change, but... The cybersecurity space changes like instantaneously. Like every five minutes, there's something new that's out there. And so I love that aspect of it. Um, and so Applied G2 is just kind of a natural evolution. And my, my partner in the business, um, he's the brilliant technologist. So I would say that I understand I'm great at compliance and the legal stuff and, you know, how technology applies to business process, but the, the real, like, super crazy, like, certified fraud examiner, computer forensics, stuff, stuff, that's him, sure. right? Like, the every, like, you know, he's, he's geekier than me, right? So, <laughs> that's um, awesome. And, um, but I love that. I mean, I think it's a good counterbalance, um, you know, from a business perspective. And he certainly can have a conversation with any CIO or CSO or C-level executive. But it's just, um, it's just a little bit different. And we've been really lucky. I mean, we have some amazing clients. Um, you know, the majority of our clients are in the Fortune 500 Global 2000. We've had some great Canadian companies sure. who are our clients as well, who we helped with, you know, compliance and security. And I think that's the other thing that people kind of don't really get because we help with both, right? So some people assume because I've got this compliance checklist like PCI or those kind of things, right? If I'm compliant, I'm secure. And they are absolutely mutually exclusive. Um, you can, okay. you can get, tick every box on a, you know, a PCI checklist sure. and become PCI compliant and still have lots and lots of holes in your security perimeter. So we try to, we, we act kind of as trusted advisors working with those C-level executives and the board of directors or general counsel saying like, look, this is what your environment looks like today. And, you know, here's how we can help you. Let's talk about what your compliance requirements are. If you, you know, if you have those. And let's talk about the security requirements and we'll help you minimize the cost and the workload, right? Sure. To actually accomplish all of those and create something that's out there. And I mean, we've saved, we have one client and I, I can't say who they are, sure, but that's fine. they're in the, in the fortune 100. <laughs> sure. Um, they had a, an agreement with a provider that wasn't fulfilling it. And then we kind of reworked things for them. Um, they got a rebate from that particular provider of $7 million. Wow. A lawyer got involved, but they paid them back the money. Sure. Um, and then they're, and they're saving about $1.1 $1. $1 in operating costs on an annual basis wow. after that. That's huge. So, 
um, we, I mean, we feel pretty good about that. And they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're a killer company. I mean, and they've been a great, um, a great referral source for us. Sure. But um, I, I love the fact that security changes all the time. So I don't think I'll ever walk away from that. And you know, even with the stuff that we do as an investor, my security background has definitely helped me because it ensures that you know, our platform's 100% secure, which is pretty important when people are providing you know, credit card information and money changing hands. Sure. Yeah. No, you're, you're totally right. And you always kind of like over the last couple of years, it, I think it's become a lot more important. Like it's always kind of been important for the enterprise, but I think people sure. are really starting to get it more now that some of their personal stuff is getting um, kind of leaked online, like obviously Apple and Sony and a bunch of stuff. Like when you actually start taking yeah. stuff that's personal to people, I think people start really caring more about it. And actually thinking about it more, right? And I think we still have a well, long I mean, way to go. I mean, go. think about it. Yeah. I mean, think about here, too. Like, so the entire Equip database, right, which yeah. um, if people are listening, right, that's actually everyone who's ever had a security clearance for the federal government in the United States. Sure. Their social security number, their birth date, their, their records all the way back to elementary school. Sure. Their entire job history. Um, all their financial information, like all your bank accounts, all this stuff, all that's a part of getting that clearance. Sure. All that data was taken, 100% yeah. of it. Which is crazy, right? right? And, and so, like, maybe it doesn't matter to someone like me or you, right? But, I don't know, what if you're a senator or, you know, you're a military official or yeah. you're, you know, I don't know, like John Bonner or one of these guys, right? Sure. Like, that's a huge deal that, sure. you know, some other organization has all of that data. And then outside of that, the thing that probably a lot of people don't know but has really changed is ransomware is massive now. And they're not targeting just big businesses. Everybody thinks, oh, they're just, you know, targeting, you know, the giant business like, you know, United Technologies or someone like that. No, actually, United Technologies is hard to get to, right? I mean, like, that's that's a lot of work to get in there Um, because they they know their data is important. Yeah, very much (laughs) so. But where it's really, right, where you're really (laughs) seeing it is like, medical practices yeah and um there was the the college out in la was just hacked and they paid right they paid because all the student records they locked their it systems down i mean the city of san francisco was held hostage a few years back right you know by a former employee and you have things like small businesses in funny here like um a friend of mine their barber shop this is hilarious right you you think about this right their barber shop um was held hostage i had my dentist called me and he's like, hey, Joy, this is what you, this is what you do? He goes, this is what happened to us. And, like, our accounts were hacked and there's this. And, I, and I'm like, okay, like, you didn't ha- – how is it you didn't think about this before? You know, like, protecting this and kind of having a backup of it. And, you know, how – I mean, like, sure. well, I you have a backup somewhere else, but can you restore it? You know, what are you going to do? And, and, I mean, I'm like, it's happening all the time. But the deal is 60% of the businesses pay. Yeah. And of the ones who don't pay – 70% of them don't reopen. Yeah, which is cr- Now that is yeah, that's scary. Totally scary. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, so So I mean I think I'm, I think you're going to see more people start to buy cyber insurance and I know like people go go I don't really need insurance but I'm like I don't know you kind of do. Yeah. If if your business is your livelihood and you have employees that rely on you and customers because if your if their data is stolen, right? Now your customers can come back and sue you. Yep. So there's you know, and depending on who you are, right, that could just bankrupt you if you don't have some sort of protection. And it's it's sad, um, 
but unfortunately, it, it's kind of where we are right now. No, I, I 100% agree with you. I, it, it fascinates me, right? In, in some ways, like if your office building burns down, yeah, you could just reopen if you have everything in the cloud. But if everything that you have right. in the cloud is gone or it's being held hostage by somebody, right. you can't get access to it, uh-huh. you're done. Like it's over, <laughs> yes. right? Like you either, like you said, mm-hmm. you either pay or you're done in a lot of cases. Yeah. And so I, you're right. I, and I think I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, right? Because I think it gets people like I don't really want to necessarily like scare people in a negative way. I just I want people like no. yourself to get people thinking about this and caring about this stuff so it doesn't happen to them or they per, can prevent it from happening to them. Yeah, I mean, or at least be prepared, right? Like, sure. like, oh, okay, maybe I should have more than one backup of my data. It's mm-hmm. still not going to prohibit them from, like, releasing data or those kind of things. Sure. But at least if you have a mirror image backup of your system, you know, and you've got it in more than one place. Um, I mean, we make a physical copy on a, di- on a different drive sure. and store it in a safe, right? Yep. I mean, depending on how important your data is, you, you've got a choice like that or you could go with a – service like Iron Mountain or one of their competitors or someone so that some of the, the data is stored somewhere else. So you're not completely hosed. But I mean, the reality is if you're going to connect to the internet, which, oh wait, we all do, because there's sure. really no point in having a computer if you don't, yep. um, you're vulnerable. Sure. You, no, totally. I mean, you can put systems in place to help, you know, yeah. so you should have things like a oh, web access firewall, stuff like that. And it's pretty easy even for small business today because most of them are using a cloud hosted solution. It's just oh, I got to pay the extra $15 a month. It's like, yes, you do. Yeah, yeah totally. Right? Yep. <laughs> yeah, there's no, not really and, a question uh, anymore. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that and like educating your users on, you know, hey, how to avoid phishing scams and, and things like that. It doesn't protect you 100%, but there's some basic simple things that aren't particularly expensive you can do sure. to, you know, give you a much higher level of security. No, totally. I, I think that's really good advice. So, I'm curious to change kind of topics a little bit. You're yeah. you're the CEO of Citizen Investor. What exactly is it and how did you come, become involved with that? <clears throat> so um, I became involved because I knew the two guys who came up with the idea. Okay. Um, so that's Tony DeSisto and Jordan Rayner and they met each other um, working on a political campaign of all crazy things. That's amazing. So Jordan is really the, yeah, he's the marketing guy. Right? Okay. So he, was, he was the campaign manager. And he's great at it. I mean, in Jordan, I will tell you, Jordan is the self-professed lover of cities, right? Okay. And all things about cities, right? Which I think is kind of cool, right? I mean, it was a new urbanism thing. Sure. You know, and then Tony is a lawyer. Okay. Um, they're both millennials. So they're both, both young guys, right? Both sure. millennials. Um, both brand new dads right now, too, which is awesome. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> Congrats to them. <laughs> so have, uh, yep. Yep. Which is great. Um, but they kind of met in that scenario. And so Tony had done a lot of stuff. Like he served on the city of Tampa's budget advisory committee. And so one of the things he saw was like, there's all these shovel ready projects, but there's no money. Right. Right. I mean, like in 2000 and like in 2012, when the company was founded, there really was no money. Right. I mean, we'd gone through this economic crisis and, you know, governments were like, no, spending money on anything. Right. Unless we absolutely have to, so that, you know, our citizens can tell so they started looking at like, hey, how, you know, how would this work? And so they said, well, you know, what if citizens actually cared about things like having a park in their neighborhood or, you know, renovating some rundown building that was a government building that was there and those sure. kind of things. And, you know, how would we do that? And so they're like, well, you know, why don't we see if we can create this civic crowdfunding platform? So 
looking at other crowdfunding models out there. It's like, how do we do that but apply it in a way that we can make sure that um, the money goes to the right place, money doesn't change hands until a project's fully funded, that someone in the government is sponsoring this. So this is very different than other crowdfunding platforms out there for that reason. Um, we don't, um, not just anyone can come and post a project. Okay. I mean, you can come post an idea, right, sure. um, on the site. If you don't know um, how to get to the government in your location or get a government sponsor, tell us and we'll help you. Sure. Um, so we'll, find, we'll contact the municipality and say, like, hey, you've got citizens who want to save this bridge or who, you know, want to fund this, and they're willing to put money into it. Um, the other thing we can do is say, like, hey, do you, have you guys allocated money for this, or are you raising money for it? We have a um, – there's a museum for modern art that's being built in one of the cities right now, and they couldn't raise all the money, so the county was giving a portion of the money. So we said, we'll post the project, right? And, and you guys know how much money you're going to give, and in this particular case, it was like three, three or four million dollars. Sure. I said, and you need to raise, like, another million. So, you know, post the project. And then use your social media to reach out and your advocates in the community to raise the other million through our platform. Once you have all, like, and it's great news for the citizens because they go, unless it's going to be completely funded, our money never changes hands. Sure. So we kind of went about it that way. Um, so the guys had, had done this and they're kind of going through some ups and downs and unfortunately, like, please, you know, come help us. And, um, you know, I mean, I think what they're doing is awesome. So um, it was easy for me to kind of say yes. Sure. And um, we've been able to do some really cool stuff. I mean, there's there's been some great projects um, that we've funded. And we also came out with another way to monetize the platform. So we do – anybody can post the idea. The project can be converted. There's no cost for anyone to do that. We'll help, we'll help you. We've actually got tools to help people understand how to go and do public outreach, you know, how to have a successful project. And we've been lucky. 70% of all the projects posted are funded. Wow, that's huge, actually. Um, Especially it's, it's compared to other double, platforms. Right. More than double what any of the other ones on there. Um, 12% of the investors that donate, donate to multiple projects. Oh, interesting. 17% of the donations actually come from outside the municipality. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. And, and the average donation is over $200. Wow. So, um, <laughs> so I mean, we've, uh, you know, I, I think that we, part of it's because people really care, right? If you're going to go and post a project, um, I'll give you a great example. We have a, a community in Jacksonville, Florida. So I got contacted by one of the teachers at the school and he teaches entrepreneurship and civics. Okay. And he goes, Hey, we want to use your platform for a senior class project. I'm like, okay. Sure. And he goes, the city council is on board with us. I'm like, perfect. That's great. And, um, so they're actually running, having their students who ended up dividing up in like three teams. And they're running these projects themselves. And some of the most successful projects we've had um, have been students. Like out in um, Eugene, Oregon, there were a group of students, and they had um, the bike racks. There's tons of, I mean, Oregon's a big biking community, right? Sure. And um, the bike racks at the school were super old, and they were destroying people's bikes when they put them in a lot more, like literally like puncturing tires, and like it was pretty ugly. Sure. And um, so the students reached out and said, like, hey, um, can we raise money on the platform? I'm like, sure. So they did the first one and they, they funded the whole project to redo all the ones they had in three days. Wow. Amazing. That's awesome. Right? They, they created their own little viral video. They went out in town. Like, students, are you kidding? Teenagers aren't afraid to ask anybody for anything. Right? Sure. Right. Like, give us money. You know, <laughs> help us. We ride our bikes to school. And, and uh, 
So then they said, well, why should we stop there? Why don't we do another one and, and fix this other stuff in the parking lot? So, all that stuff. so they go and raise four times the money the next time around. That's awesome. Right? And this took about a month. Sure. And then they said, well, we should just keep going and finish all the stuff here. And so <laughs> another project and funded all that in like another month. I mean, so it, it, was, it was really cool. And I was like, hey, that's great. And we've had, I mean, those are cool projects. We've had people raise money for oxygen masks for pets. Interesting. For firefighters. Oh, for firefighters. Okay. Sure. Right? Sure. So animals are coming out right now. I mean, I was like, okay, that's that's different. And then probably one of the other ones that I, I love just because the story because the kids are so young. Um up in uh up in the northeast, right? There's a there's a park called Jinx Park. Okay. Um and it's in Central Falls, Rhode Island. Okay. And Central Falls was a community that went bankrupt. Right. The city went bankrupt. Right, right. They got a young mayor. 25 years old, right? Really? Got elected. Wow. And um, so the teachers in the local elementary school, they said, hey, let's write a letter to the mayor and tell the mayor if he could fix one thing in our community, what would you want him to fix? Okay. And so the kids wrote letters. They all came together and said like, hey, what we really want is to clean up the park. There's only one park in the city, right? Sure. And it's really windy in Central Falls, Rhode Island. Okay. So trash would like blow all over the park. It was oh. in the little town, right? So it was always kind of dirty. Okay. And the trash bins would blow over. Sure. Because they're made out of plastic, right? And they would blow over and, you know, so they're kind of messy. So when the mayor got this letter, <laughs> all these letters from these kids, <laughs> these fifth graders, sure. right? Um, he said, well, let's clean up the park. And um, he contacted us about, like, hey, you know, could we work with you guys to help raise money? Because we don't have any money. Sure. And we're like, sure. So what he did was he went and contacted a local metal metalworks company. Okay. And talked to them about making metal trash bins that won't blow over. Sure. He went out. They went out with the kids, cleaned up the park, and they videotaped the kids cleaning up the park and why it was important. And that was their video for their crowdfunding campaign. That's awesome. Um, and they fully funded all of the new trash bins. And so I think it's a cool story because being an entrepreneur, right? It's sure. like the kids. It was the kids' idea. You've got a super young mayor. He put the money back into another local business sure. to correct the problem, right? So it's kind of like it all came full circle. So to me, that's probably a really cool story just because of, you know, how the whole thing came to be. But we've, we've gone from that to, like, you know, libraries for homeless shelters, you know, to makeovers for libraries where they're putting 3D printers because, you know, libraries are not like what libraries used to be, sure. you know, anymore. Yep. Public art. I mean, like graffiti on buildings, training, Boys and Girls Club. We just got, I just got one in today um, out of Cincinnati, and I didn't realize this, but the closest Boys and Girls Club is 20 miles from them. Oh, wow. That's fine. And so they're like, we want to raise money for, you know, a Boys and Girls Club. And I was like, wow, that makes, that makes perfect sense to me. Sure. Um, you know, so it just depends. I mean, it's like, what's important to you? I mean, we've got another one that there's, they're building, um, they have the land that's been given to them by the county, but they don't have enough money to build um, a new animal shelter. Okay. So they're going to raise the money in stages because we allow that. So I said, well, okay, why don't you guys raise the money for the ground improvements first, right? Sure. And, you know, so you raise that campaign. And once you've proven that you've done that, now go back and say, all right, now we want to raise the money for the building. Right. And then after you've got the building built, you can raise money for equipment to go in the building. Sure. Right. Yeah, yeah and totally. While the county has part of the money, they don't have all the money. And I mean, you know, projects that cost millions of dollars, it's much harder to get 
all the money for that from just from the government. But this totally. gives them the ability to go out and look for grant money, right? Go to other charities. We've had businesses that have helped, right? Because it's one of the things we suggest. It's like, hey, why don't you see if a local business, if you've got a project like this, maybe a local business will help you with that, right? It'd sure. be a tax deductible donation for them. And it would be something that they could do to, you know, help the community. And, you know, that tends to work. And sometimes if we, you know, we'll make suggestions like, hey, these are the types of businesses that we've seen historically help with other projects like yours. So these are the people to target in your community. I mean, ultimately, we really want them to be successful because there's definitely um, there's definitely a higher purpose to this versus, you know, a lot of people like, oh, just, so it's just to make money. It's like, no, like we're, I'm, I'm certainly an entrepreneur and I'm a capitalist, but, you know, so I do want to make money in the end. But sure. that's not how that's not how this came about. And it's, we're certainly not in it for, just for the sake of making money. You know, the goal is to really empower citizens to make a difference close to home, which is why we target local municipalities and local EDCs and, you know, chambers of commerce and things like that versus going like, oh, let's go to the federal level or to the state level. Right. Totally. No, I, I, I think that's great. And I, I love that what you guys are doing with that, because I think it's so hard to think like I need to solve this problem that's globally when there's like a lot of problems within, you know, like a 10 minute drive from wherever you live. Right. And I think yeah, people absolutely. can relate to that a lot more. And you guys are basically solving those problems. You're like, you know what, that park that I go in every day and take my dog or whatever does need, mm -hmm. you know, and I can give my $100 or $200 or whatever that amount is to make it better, right? And you can actually see it and right. you enjoy it where sometimes if you give to something that's maybe on a national scale or whatever, you're you it maybe you feel good, but you don't really actually maybe necessarily see the benefit. I think some people kind of struggle with that. But when you can see something like literally you walk by every day or you drive by every day, I think that's a lot easier to kind of get behind, at least in a lot of people's eyes. Well, yeah, and or you use it, right? I mean, mm -hmm. like that's the other thing. Like we have a lot of people that are like, hey, we live in this community and there's not enough, you know, dog parks are a really big deal, right? Sure. Particularly if you think about urban areas. And yeah. so, you know, a lot of times they can find land, right? But they don't have the things to make the improvements on the property and stuff sure. like that. Community gardens are another one that we're seeing a lot of people, okay. you know, really focus on now because like people want, you know, organic gardens. So we're like, hey, you know, you could have a community garden that's on the ground or you could get local business that's got a rooftop and, you know, we'll let you use their rooftop. Right. And, sure. you know, you could put it there. Right. So it's like, you know, when you're when you're kind of thinking about these things, but we're seeing more people say like, oh, OK, I'm, I'm going to do that. And if it's something you're going to use, because I've had a couple of people come to me, you know, playing the devil's advocate, side, right? like going like, well, I shouldn't have to do that. My tax dollars should cover everything. And I said, well, you know, that's, that's a great theory. But um, obviously the tax dollars aren't covering everything because the park you want is not there or, sure. the, the, you know, the bike racks you want to see downtown or the bike share, it's not there. Yeah. So, um, you know, so there's only so many tax dollars and the challenges, right? The government is passed. You know, I'm certainly not a, a, a government or a person or a politician, but the government's tasked with using the money to benefit the most amount of citizens, right? Sure, yeah. So things like infrastructure and roads and all those other things, they're going to come before, good or bad, right? They're yeah, going to yeah. come before a, an improvement to your park or putting in a dog park or adding to the river walk or, or those kind of things because it benefits the most citizens. Sure. And we, and we can't do without roads and, yep. you know, bike lanes and things like that. So it's um, it's been interesting. Bike lanes are some of the things we're starting to see more funding of sure. in the U.S., Sure. And um, which I think is great. And um, we've got interest now, too. So we're, we're working with some groups out in Brazil 
Um, oh, wow. We're working with some groups over in Italy um, who are, are doing this as well. And then um, in some cases, like organizations like we, um, we also offer the platform um, as a SaaS offering okay. to people who want, organizations that want to use it for themselves, like Florida Fish and Wildlife. Um, license the platform and they're going to, they've got a massive following. I mean, you can imagine we have more fishing and diving areas than any place else in, in the world, actually, sure. around the coast of Florida. Sure. Um, not to mention like hunting and all those other things. So they're like, hey, we get so much feedback from all of the people who get their licenses and things through us, but we don't have the money, right? to fund everything, sure. Um, but we want to keep them engaged. So we want to understand what really matters to them, and then we can decide how much money we, money we allocate based on things that really matter. So they're going to have people, you know, they've licensed the platform. It'll be branded as their platform. Okay. Um, we do all the back-end mechanics for them, right? But they set whatever terms and post whatever projects they want. But it gives them a great way to engage with the people who, you know, have their fishing licenses or, you know, are scuba divers and things in the area, and then learn things like, hey, where are fish plentiful or not plentiful without having to go out and, and find out this information because people are engaged, like saying like, hey, here's a problem in this particular area. Sure. So the data that's being gathered, in addition to them funding things that matter, um, it's a pretty big deal. You know? So it's a different type of engagement. We've got another municipality we're working with right now. So we have several municipalities that have licensed. So the county is licensing it, and they're allowing the city and their arts council you know, and they've got another group that's an economic development type group and another one that is focused on public education. And so they're going to bring all those things under the umbrella, yet all those organizations will still be able to drive traffic back out to their sites. But they're going to use the crowdfunding platform kind of as a basis for, hey, if you're in our community and you want to understand all the things that we care about and that we're working towards, it's all right here. Um, so it's a, it's a different thing with civic engagement and based on some of the feedback we've gotten, we're looking at how do we build a platform out long-term with more tools um, for them as it relates to, to civic engagement. So to me, that part's pretty, that's pretty exciting um, because we're seeing people, it's a natural evolution of people using the platform that's caused that to happen. No, I, I I love that. I, I think that's great. And like, you're right, because if they don't have to spend so much time even just going out and checking things and their users tell them, like, it just makes a lot of sense. And I think almost like any business or organization could implement something like that, right? Because especially yeah, in a large organization, right? They want to know, like, mm-hmm. what the employees are thinking or want or need or, or I don't know. And they, they vote it up. And I, you know, that's interesting. I, I never really thought of that. But I think that's actually a really good, good idea as well. So and we're really proud. We, we, we're su- I'm sorry. That was it. We, no, no, one go ahead. We're super excited about. No, so we, um, we found out today that we've been selected by the GovTech. So GovTech is um, uh, an agency here that looks at all of the things that are going on in government technology on a global basis. Sure. Um, and we were named to the GovTech 100 again this year. So they started the list last year. We made the list last year. Well, congrats. And we were named, we found out today, um, again this year. So we're pretty, we're pretty psyched about that. Sure, that's awesome. <laughs> no, that's awesome, right? That, that's great. And, when, and you guys are making kind of a big difference, kind of, you know, just not locally, but kind of, kind of North America right. and beyond, right? I, I think that's great, yeah. right? So I'm, I'm kind of, we're kind of coming to the end of the show, but I, I really want to kind of also cover... What is New Market Partners, and how did you found it, and what's your involvement <laughs> with that? 
So New Market Partners is my, um, I guess, so I, I also sit on the board of several startups, right, yes. and advisory boards. Um, and I started a long time ago doing consulting. This is even back when I we were building other companies. Kind of after um, the CA Cheyenne thing, I sort of made a decision like, hey, I'm going to do this because I had so many people come ask me, like, how did you do this? And, you know, you're starting to ask those questions. I'm like, all right, like, I, I only have so many hours in a day, so I have to come up with a way to do this. And it's not that I don't like people, but... You know, I could only eat so many lunches and have so sure. many coffees, right? Yep. Um, so <laughs> I was like, if I'm going to invest money, um, then I should formalize it a little bit. So um, that's kind of how New Market Partners came about. So a portion of that, we actually make investments in, in startups. Okay. So there's some startup investment that goes on. Um, and the other part is really consulting and advisory services for startups, um, helping them um, package themselves and get ready to do fundraising. Um, for M&A, how do you scale something or go to market strategies, right? What's the right model, those kind of things. Because I've, in my career, I've served basically every position um, other than CTO. I'm not, I'm not the, the developer. That is gotcha. not me. I can look at code and tell you if it is bad. Um, <laughs> I can tell you if it's annotated correctly. Um, but I don't, I don't write code. And I have mad respect for the guys who are great at it, like, um, my co-founder at Velocity, like Martin Flack, was one of the most brilliant people ever. And, um, you know, I, I could never do that. And so I'm enamored by the fact that they can. Sure. But, yep. we, um, but we do have some people that help vet the technology on, you know, on that side and things that we're making investments in. But it was my way of, like, helping other startups. And we do some stuff pro bono. Like, we'll take on a project here and there, and we'll be like, okay, yeah, we'll do that, you know, just to help the company um, we try to do like maybe one a quarter that way um, because it's it's a little bit time consuming, but um, it's very rewarding as well. So to, you know, help another founder um, achieve success. And that's actually how I got involved with this investor in the first place. Right. Sure. Um, that part is, is pretty awesome. So I, I love that aspect of it. No, that that makes a lot of sense. I, I think that's great. And you've been doing that for kind of a, a long time as well. And I, I thought we should kind of yeah. kind of mention <laughs> that, right? Because I but I think the, the thing that I like about people like yourself that have them on the show is when you're doing investments or an accelerator or, or like you've been there and you've done that, right? It's not like you're coming in mm -hmm. saying, I got a bunch of money from something and I never really have right. been through it, but you've been through it kind of time and time again. And I think that adds a lot of value. Yeah, okay, you can put in some money, but like having that actual like experience and you've been through it, I think in a lot of cases can be way more valuable than just like, here's a check for X amount of dollars, you know, keep me posted, right? Yeah, it would be like we could do a whole other talk about mm -hmm. about this. But what I've learned, I'll say, if I sum it all up, um, I don't invest in things I don't know sure. um, anymore. So I've I've done that. It it never worked out. Gotcha. Okay. Sure. Um, so I learned that's a bad idea, <laughs> and I'll refer people. I'll be like I'll be like, hey, you should go talk to this person because they know that space, sure. you know, and maybe they would be a good fit for you. But I just I can't add if I can't add value other than writing a check, I'm not going to do it. Sure. Um, because I don't think it's a good use of my time and I don't think it's all that helpful to a founder either. And Fair. conversely for me in taking money, when I said before, you know, and like I said, it would take a long time to go through all this, but I'm not going to take money. That's just money. 
Um, I want something more than that behind that. And so that's why I said you have to be selective when you're taking on an investor, whether it's an angel or whether it's a venture capitalist or whatever. I mean, like there's a whole different way of looking at things. And if they can't add other value, whether that value be operational experience or connection to customers or those kind of things, it's not a good fit. Just keep looking. You'll, You'll find it. Just keep looking. No, I, I think that's that's really good advice. And and I think that makes a lot of sense, right? And like to be fair, you probably don't even need to do that, right? So like if you if you make an investment and be, want to be part of something, like your time's valuable. So you want to be kind of passionate about the industry and the people that you're working with, right? It just makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. So you're also going to be at Supex, the Startup Expo, doing a talk. Do you, do you know am. what you're going to be talking about there yet? I do. So I'm going to be talking about investment. So I'm actually doing two things. So, okay. so that was actually asked. I will be moderating the panel on diversity, okay. uh, which I think is going to be pretty, pretty fun. Sure. Um, so we've got a, a pretty good group of people that are going to be a part of that. And then I'll be speaking about um, investments. And we'll have um, a couple of other venture capitalists um, as a part of that group as well. So I'm excited about it. I, um, I love the event. It was, it was a blast. Um, doing it before and uh, I'm excited because it's growing again this year. Sure. So I'm excited to see like all the new companies and I was super impressed by some of the companies I saw there last year. Sure. um, At what they've been able to accomplish with so little Um, and it's very interesting because you get all kinds of entrepreneurs, right? Sure. Like you've got people who are in their 60s and I've got people who are, you know, in their 20s, barely. (laughs) Sure, yeah, yeah, that's awesome though. Well, and too, like even just the tech scene in Florida, you've probably seen it grow from nothing to something now, right? Well, I mean, come on, like who would have ever thought that Florida would have been the fourth most invested state last year? I mean, really? Sure. Like no one in their right mind would think that, right? Uh, I mean, I would, I can tell you right now, I wouldn't have. If you'd asked me at the beginning of 2016, I'd be like, nope. Really? I'm like, That's no interesting, way. though. But a, a big chunk of it, though, went to one company who was doing amazing work. So um, Magic Leap, which is actually down in Fort Lauderdale. Oh, okay. um, and And absolutely phenomenal work. I mean, invested by Google. Sure. Um, Andrews and Horowitz, right? So it's like, you know, when you start looking at who's making investments, it's like the who's who of venture capital investing, you know, half a billion dollars over the course of three, four years in this company. Um but their technology is truly amazing that they're building there. So um, I'm in awe of the technology. And uh, one of the reasons they opted to stay here versus in the Valley, aside from the fact the founder loves it here, um, is he said, well, you know, the way the film industry is working and kind of what they're doing with, you know, augmented reality, um, it makes perfect sense because they have a great collaboration to stay here. So, um, we're excited about that, but we've also seen a lot of other like six, seven million dollar Series A's sure. come into Florida in the last half of the year. So that's actually very positive. And most of it's in the B two B space, like very little B two C, but in the B two B space, which is good. Sure. Because those businesses scale faster. Like people don't realize that, but those businesses scale faster, a lot faster. Yeah, I guess that, that would make some sense. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So. We're, we're coming to the end of the show, so maybe let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, Citizen Investor, Applied yeah. G2, yeah. New Market Partners, and 
pretty much anything else you're involved in, there's there's tons of them, right? Like you could rattle off probably 20 yeah, domains. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's, it, you can obviously reach me on Twitter. So it's at joy underscore Randall. And the easiest email address, <laughs> so we'll go with the easiest one. Sure, sure. Is joy at citizeninvestor.com. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Joy, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your uh, day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you, and have a good rest of your day. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, you have a good day, and we'll talk soon. All right. Great. Thank you, Kevin. Okay. (laughs) Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep them in the future.